Well, good morning again and welcome to Fellowship. If you are a guest with us, uh, you've been welcomed several times, but uh, let me just once again let you know how glad that we are, uh, that you're here, and uh, we just trust the Lord that uh, he uh, knew you would be here and has good things ahead for you. We are moving into the time of preaching God's word in our worship service. We've, we've uh, taken some time to sing, and uh, that was some tremendous singing uh, by, uh, by our, thank you, worship team for leading us with uh, such uh, passion and then congregation responding. Uh, that was uh, just a powerful time of declaring God's truths and doing it in music and song. And again, we do those things not because we have great ideas, but because we're just following what it is that God has called his people to do. And that is part of what we do when we gather. And so now we move into the, into the time where we respond and hear the preaching of the word of God. And we as a church are doing uh, walking through a series in the book of Joshua. It's an Old Testament book and uh, started that last week. And so we're going to continue in that and just making our way through the text and believing again that God has preserved this and has good things for us. Today, we're going to look at God's instruction to his people, his instruction. Last week, we saw his promise. It was a reminder of who he is and what he will do. Now, he moves to his instruction to his servant and to his people. The main source of this instruction that we're going to look at today is God's book, his word his revealed truth. And so I just want to start with a very simple question, ask you to consider something. Do you treasure the word of God? Do you treasure the word of God? Just let that question just kind of resonate uh, in your mind, reflect on it. Is God's word of high value to you in your life? And then if so, how have you demonstrated that? How have you demonstrated the, the value of the word of God in your life specifically? Let me tell you the true story of a man uh, named Hien Pham. He was a man who had a great love for the word of God. Hien Pham is from Vietnam and was raised as a, as a devout Buddhist. He was an interpreter, and he knew English well. He was given a Bible by an American soldier, and he took great interest in this book. And so after reading it, he found a Christian church so he could learn more about what was in this book. Well, eventually, Hien believed and trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he became a devoted Christian. Well, after Vietnam fell to communism... Hien was arrested for his Christianity, and he was sent to prison. And so while in prison, he was unable to read the Bible, but he was being indoctrinated every day with communist propaganda. And it was constant, 24 hours, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And at first, he was able to resist. But over time, it got to him, and he began to question his beliefs in God. Eventually... He started to believe the propaganda. He started wondering, maybe I've been lied to. Maybe there is no God. 
I mean, look at the situation that I'm in. And then one night before bed, he came to the decision that he would stop praying to God. Before that, he'd been praying every day, uh, many moments throughout the day. Well, that next morning, he was assigned to clean the latrines of the prison. Not a great job. And as he cleaned out a tin can filled with, yes, used toilet paper, he saw a paper with English writing and he kept it. He washed it off, put the piece of paper in his pocket, and he said he would read it that night while in his jail cell. And so that night, under a mosquito net and with a flashlight, he read the torn page, and it read at the top, Romans chapter 8. And then he read the following words, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He read further, because it was Romans 8, 28 through 39 was the section he had. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he then began to weep. No words, no prayers, just brokenness. And when he finally collected himself after some time, he confessed his unbelief to God. And he asked the Lord for forgiveness. Well, the next morning, he asked one of the commanders if he could clean the latrines again. And again, he found another page from Scripture. Eventually, he found out that there was an officer of the camp that was using a confiscated Bible and its pages as toilet tissue. He continued this practice, collecting pages of Scripture. By the time he was released from prison, he had accumulated a significant portion of Scripture, and he said it was that Scripture, those words, those promises, this God that got him through each day. This is a true story, and that reflects a love for Scripture. But his circumstance put him in that place. But it still raises the question for us, what about you? Do you treasure God's book, the Word of God? May God help us to love his Word. And so that's a simple prayer. I'm going to pray and ask God to lead us. And even as I'm praying, you can just pray that prayer. Very simple prayer. God, help me to love your word. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing truths that it, it, it reveals. And, and more importantly, the amazing God it reveals. Help us to love, to be people who love your word. And help us to learn today from your word these truths that would help us love your truth more and more. Guide us, Lord. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do, Spirit of God, and that is to illuminate truth that we may understand it, these truths of God. And I pray that for each person as well. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I want to provide a quick recap from last week, and then we're going to pick right up in the text that was read for us a little bit earlier. So we saw last week that Moses has died, but the mission of God uh, must continue for the people of God. God has promised them a place that they can call their own, the promised land. Joshua has been called, he's been commissioned by God, and he's been commissioned by God for this task, and he has made that very clear to Joshua. He's also promised Joshua some things that no one would be able to stand against him. 
that he would be with Joshua just as he was with Moses. Such an important promise, especially for a human like Joshua who saw Moses. And then he said, promise that the Lord God would be with him and never leave him. And of course, that was also comforting. The Lord gives his instruction now to Joshua. Now that God has promised what he would do, it's time for Joshua to hear what he and the people must do. And so I broke this up into several instructions uh, from God. And we're going to look at the first one and we'll talk through it. These are really written even in the text as commands, as imperative commands, but more than just commands, there are instructions on how to obey the commands. And the first instruction we see is be strong and courageous. We're very, very familiar with this text. Verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So let's break down what these words mean. Strong And we're looking at this now in the Old Testament from the Hebrew means to strengthen, to become strong, to grow strong. So so even in this word that we're looking and translating into English from, from the Hebrew, the instruction is actually to become strong. And and the people also must become strong. See, it's not acknowledging that they are strong. It's saying, Joshua, you must become strong. And the people, they must become strong. And then it's courageous. And again, that's the word that's being translated into our English word, courageous, from the Hebrew. And that word means to to be strong, alert, steadfast, brave, and even to make obstinate. This... This steadfastness that's connected to this courageous uh, word is almost to the point of being stubborn. You're steadfast, unmovable. See, this is the opposite then of wishy-washy, of, of, of spineless, of uncertain and afraid and indecisive. Courageous. Now we must understand the context of these instructions or will misapply them. Especially these words. These these words are not a call for Joshua to be battle ready. This isn't just battle readiness. This isn't brave heart. Like it's not just that, you know? It's not, let's just fire them up. This isn't the coach, right? Gathered with the team right before they run out, you know, for kickoff and firing them up. It's not what this is. It's not, this is not just hype. The context here is the law, the word. And we see that clearly in the next verse. So to be steadfast and courageous is to be obedient and faithful to God and his word, his truth. And to do so in the face of any opposition you might face in being faithful. God is not asking Joshua to be confident in himself, but to be courageous in trusting what God has promised. 
Now, why will Joshua need strength and courage? Well, he's going to need it to fulfill the mission. Causing the people to inherit the land that God has promised to them. Again, that's the promise. He's, he's being faithful to the promise. So looking now at the second instruction, strengthen yourselves and be vigilant and steadfast in keeping the law I have commanded you. So this is coming from verse seven. Only be strong and very courageous. Here's a repeat in case it didn't go through the first time. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So strengthen yourselves and be vigilant and steadfast in keeping the law that I've commanded you. Now let's look at that word careful. Why is that word in there? Why should Joshua be careful? Just think about it as parents. Parents, your kids are going to school or they're doing something and you say, you know, be strong, be courageous. And then you follow that up with, be careful. And they're thinking they don't really go together. Usually you're putting careful aside to be strong and courageous. That's kind of the, the point. So why, why, is, why is that word being used here? Well, the word that is there means to guard closely, to observe, to give heed. It's a guarding closely. It's keeping watch, vigilant watch. So the Lord God is instructing Joshua and the people to closely guard the law and be strong and very courageous. This law that Moses commanded them, the law that God gave to Moses, this is God's law. And so Joshua and the people must be strong, they must be courageous, and they must be those things while guarding very closely the truth of God, the law of God. So that's the second instruction. Third instruction is do not deviate to the left or the right in keeping my word and my law that you may be blessed. Don't, do not deviate. Do not turn from it, verse 7, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This command and instruction is very specific. Do not deviate from what my word and my law says. Another way of saying this is, is this. We could say it this way. Do not try your way over my way. That is deviation. You're You're deviating. Don't, don't make up excuses. Don't come up with reasons why you are justified in not keeping my law and my word. Don't do that. When you, when you come up with reasons why you don't have to do this, you have deviated. You have turned to the left. You have turned to the right. You're not justified. We are never justified in disobeying the law of God. That's why we are being commanded not to deviate. I, I think this parallels well with Proverbs 3, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not. Lean not on what? 
your own understanding. You see, leaning on your own understanding is deviation. That's where it leads you. From what? From God's word, truth. Leaning on your own understanding essentially will will lead us to disobeying what is clearly written in the word of God. And then, because we have leaned on our own understanding, we don't just disobey, we justify the disobedience. And that is leaning on your own understanding, and that is deviating from the word. And this is very specific instruction that God has given to Joshua and the people. Don't do this, which means what? You're probably going to have opportunity to do this. You're probably going to be tempted to do this. And we can clearly understand that. Fourth instruction, this book of the law must never be forgotten. All right, that's not too hard. (laughs) For those of us who forget things, we're in trouble, right? You must speak it and meditate on it day and night so that you remain faithful to all that is written in it. It can't be forgotten. You have to speak it and you have to talk about it all the time so that you remain faithful to it. So let's look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Notice that word written. We're going to get to that. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Only when following this will we be blessed, prosperous, and successful from God's perspective. You see, what's so interesting to me about the way we live and and the way we read the scripture, the way to blessing, the way to prosperous living is by doing what God says. It's actually not by deviating. But yet, what's so interesting that I find is most people deviate because they believe that in the deviation to this degree or to that will actually be a little bit more beneficial and prosperous for them. And that's exactly what he's saying is not the case. This is called deceiving ourselves. Now, I want you to notice something because I want to make a point of this and I'm going to take some time to talk about it. Notice how the Lord says this. Now, remember, this is the the beginning of Joshua 1. says, the Lord said. So the Lord is speaking here. Notice how it says, the book of the law. What is this book of the law? Now, you might read over that, and you might, I don't know what you might think of. You might think of, well, that's probably just the Ten Commandments. Well, that's, the Ten Commandments is not really a book, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the tablets and it's the Ten Commandments, but this is more than just the Ten Commandments. This is a reference to what Moses has been writing. And what has he been writing? He's been writing the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And this is important for you to know and understand as a Christian. If you're a follower of Christ and you read this book, 
you should know this. You should understand why this is important. So in Deuteronomy chapter 31, you can turn to Deuteronomy 31 if you want, but I'm going to have the text come up on the screen. But if you want to follow along with me, Deuteronomy 31 verse 9, it says, Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. So here we have this, we have Moses, we have clear scriptural evidence of Moses writing things, writing this law. Then in the verses following after, in Deuteronomy 31, Moses then commanded something. He said, this law that was written must be read to the people. And it must be read out loud from the book. And it must be done at least every seven years to the people. Make sure this is done so they don't forget it. So that we don't just lose our way. Then in verse 24, Deuteronomy 31, it says, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book, this book of the law, and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. He didn't say that it may be there to comfort you, that it may be there to encourage you, that it may be there to be a witness. In other words, God's word is the authority. That's what he's establishing. It's the authority. So if you violate it, you can't make an excuse because this is, the word is going to stand as a witness. And notice where it's placed. Right by the ark of the covenant. The most sacred, holy place at this point. What is Moses writing here? What is he writing? What is he writing to the very end? Again, it's this reference to the, to the fact that, that Moses is the author of, of, of Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch. Moses is saying it's finished. He's completed it. And now it needs to reside with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, why would this written law be placed there? Well, because it's God's sacred word. Now, something's happening here. It's, it's, it's a significant shift that we don't recognize looking back. If we were there, we would recognize it. So I want to point it out. This is a significant shift in Jewish worship. No longer, no longer are they going to be a people led by God simply through verbal guidance. No longer is it just going to be God speaking, you know, from, from the sky. And it's not going to just be that anymore. God is beginning to mediate his ways to his people. And he's doing it through a written book. And we see that right here. God commanded something to be written. And Moses wrote it probably over the period of 40 years 
which is so interesting to think about because those were the years of wandering. And it makes me wonder, well, then what would have happened had they not wandered because they weren't supposed to do that? That was being disobedient. And then you stop and you say, okay, slow down because your mind keeps going and you just got to trust God, right? And his providence and his sovereignty, how he orchestrated all of these things. God is emphasizing a book, his book, his word. Now, what is he saying to Joshua and his people? He's saying to them, the primary way that I will lead you now is going to come from a written, propositional revelation of God. This is what you are reading, what you are seeing. Christ follower, Christian, who takes the Bible and holds the Bible. What you are seeing here is the very canon of Scripture forming. God preserving his word for his people. And how long did this take? How long did it take for the writings of Moses to be considered scripture? How long? Well, it happened immediately upon his death. As soon as Moses died, Joshua, who's the leader now, appointed by God, commissioned by God, and Israel, what are they doing? They begin to accept the writings of Moses as scripture, as commanded by God. As authoritative right away. It didn't take 200 years. There wasn't a person assigned, take the book, bury it in a cave, leave it there for 100 years. After 100 years, something special happens and it becomes inspired. No. It's, this, is, this is what happened. It, and and I, I think about to our day, what would we do? Well, we would have a business meeting. Right? And we'd have, Joshua would have to lead it, and he'd get some of the elders, and the congregation would come. Hey, we're thinking about taking this book that Moses wrote and making it, basically deeming it God's word and making it authoritative in and, and scripture. And somebody raised their hand going, no, we can't do that. Have you seen some of the things Moses said? I mean, Moses was human. Right? He made mistakes. He did things wrong. Yet, this is what God was doing. Because God is the one superintending over all of this. For Joshua, the book that Moses wrote was scripture. The very word of God. And because of that, these written words of Moses had authority right away, as revealed here in Joshua 1. That's what Joshua 1 is telling us. The book of the law. What's the point of doing what it says if it doesn't have authority? And the fact that Joshua and Israel accepted the writings of Moses as scripture, what you need to understand how important that is because as they accepted that in faith, in their God, it paved the way, no pun intended, pun intended, whichever one, paved the way for generations after to do the same. That's why it continued to be understood this way 
And again, just think about Joshua. He knew Moses. He grew up with him. He literally grew up around Moses. So he saw his weaknesses. He saw Moses at his worst, Moses at his best. And yet, Joshua, with faith in God, trusted and said the writings of Moses. Maybe he had memory of Moses being off by himself, writing during those 40 years and thinking, now I'm reading what he wrote? I remember that day. I remember him writing that day, and I remember he wasn't in the greatest mood. Yet, the Spirit of God, God himself is doing this. Trusted and believed his writings to be a revelation of God to his people. Now, again, we have to follow the shift. We need to understand the shift. God is still ruling Israel, but after Moses' writings and continuing afterwards, God led his people more and more from his written word. And we see that through Israel's history, even as we're reading the book of Joshua, which we understand to be, uh, to be written by Joshua. He was following the practice of Moses, right into the prophets, and then culminating in the New Testament in what? In the word of God becoming human flesh. Do you see how this ties together? From the very beginning to the very end, one God, one story. Even Jesus referred to Moses' book in this way. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll, uh, I'll put it on the screen so you see. Mark chapter 12, verse 26. He's having a, a debate with the Sadducees, and, 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 he's, and they're, they're talking about uh, resurrection because they had a hard time with that. And as for the dead being raised, Jesus says, have you not read in the book of Moses? He's referring back to the scripture that has been preserved, but it started here where, we're, where we are reading in Joshua 1 in the passage about the bush. Now notice the passage about the bush. That's not just law. That's not just Levitical law. That's not just the Ten Commandments. That's historical narrative. He's saying that I was reading in Moses' book about Moses and the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And from that, Jesus draws a truth about God. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I want you to see the amazing providence and sovereignty of our God. How he has very powerfully preserved his word and his truth over time. And he's done that so that we could know him. We could know this God. And you can see this transition to the written word happening from this point forward as you look in the scripture. Even in Joshua 23, which is right before he dies, uh, I'll put it up on the screen for you to see what Joshua wrote. He wrote, be very strong. I wonder where he heard that before, right? Uh, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written what? In the book of the law of Moses. He's referring back to, again, the written word. Do what it says, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand to the left. Again, very familiar to what we're reading in Joshua 1. 
but you shall cling. Notice that verse eight. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So according to Joshua, right before he dies, the way you cling to the Lord your God is by doing all that is written in the book. Joshua points to the revelation of the word. This is how God would lead his people, and it is still how God leads his people through his word. The people of Israel were to become people of the book. And this law was to not just be their religious authority, it was actually their civil authority as well. It was how they were to live as civilians in, in their government. But this was new to Joshua. Think about it, this poor guy. I mean, talk about a transition. From, you, had, you had to take over from Moses, and you have all that great stuff written about Moses in Deuteronomy 34. Thanks for that. Best guy ever in the world. And I got to fill in for him. And now we're changing everything? Because before this, he doesn't have written scripture, and now he does. So he's got he's to do something Moses didn't do. He's got to go to the word, this written word, and lead the people through it. This is how God would lead his people. And to this day, we are still people of this book. Fifth instruction, important, important for you to understand and know. So fifth instruction, be strong and courageous and do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse nine, again, a reminder, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, period. Again, the strong and courageous, strengthen yourself. And be courageous as well. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So now we have the introduction of fear. And the connection of fear to being strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Instead, be strong and courageous. You see, it's impossible for us to be faithful to God when we are living our lives out of our fears. When our fears are what drive us, faithfulness, full of faith, is going to be very hard in God because we're responding to everything by fear. And we're living in a culture today that is really capitalizing on that. You, you pay attention to the marketing and to the things that are happening even in our world. It seems like you watch the news even, and it seems like the intent is to drive you to fear and then a certain response from that fear. But we're called here to not fear. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. So to be strong and courageous isn't, isn't that you're, there's nothing you're ever afraid of. It's that you face your fears with faith in your God. Because your God is with you wherever you go on his mission. Now, if God were not with us, should we fear? Oh, yeah. But he is with us. And see, if that doesn't matter to you, 
If that doesn't get you anywhere, that's a problem. Because he is with us. That's what he's saying. I am with you. But if he said, I'm not with you, he's not going to say, well, you know, you shouldn't fear. He's going to say, you probably should fear. But I am with you. We should not fear. We should not be afraid. We should not despair. In the story of Hien Pham that I shared earlier, it wasn't just finding paper. It wasn't even just the words. It was the God of that word. The God of that revelation was letting him know where he was in the in midst of nowhere, where no one would ever think about him again. In the despair of that prison, he was saying, I am with you. But he got that through the word. So we're going to pick up with, we'll continue to work our way through this text next week, but I want to give you three exhortations from this word of God here that still speaks to us today. So first one is this, as a Christ follower, you are a Christ follower. If you're here and you've trusted in Christ, you've given your life to Christ, you say you're a Christian, he's your Lord, he's your savior, you've trusted in Jesus to be the one person who can save you from your own sin. His life, his death, his resurrection is what pays for the debt of your sin and you've trusted in that, then you are called to be a person of the book. We are people of the book. I know it's simple, but it needs to mean something. And so is your goal to live your life in alignment with the word of God? Is that your goal? And will you be strong and courageous to do that? Because in order to do it, what we're learning from Joshua 1 is that in order to live our lives in alignment with the word of God, we are going to need to be strong and courageous because we are going to face opposition to that. Not turning to the left, not turning to the right. And I was thinking of the, when I was reading that, I was thinking, that's funny, left and right, you know, politics. Now, of course, he wasn't, you know, wasn't thinking of our left and right today. But I think, I think what it can tell us is, even when we think about that, that when we turn to politics of the right, am I right? Politics of the left, they're not the answer. We live in alignment with the word of God, wherever that takes us. Second, a lack of study and proper understanding of God's word leads to a lack of obedience and faithfulness to God's word. A lack of study and proper understanding of this book is going to lead to a lack of obedience and faithfulness to this book. That makes sense. So if you're not reading the word of God, you're not meditating on it, thinking about it, if you're not having the word fill your mind and your heart, how in the world are you going to live in faithfulness to it? That's why God told Joshua, you need to meditate on it 
day and night. You, it needs to be coming out of your mouth. You need to stand in front of the people and you need to tell them because if you don't do that, you won't live this way. And so we need to be this way in our Christian lives. And I think there are so many different um, tools today to help you be in the Bible, to read the Bible. You can, there's apps now available that'll read the scripture to you so that if you're more of a listener, you can listen to the word of God. You can have, uh, there's different Bible reading plans that you can find and to help you just have a, have a plan going forward to, to, have, to be reading the Bible. But don't read the Bible just to get through it. Like the goal of Bible reading is not to just say, hey, I finished the Bible. I had a plan to get through the Bible in six months, and I did. Or a year or two years, whatever the different plans are. Read the word of God for the purpose of allowing the truth of the word of God to get through to you. Not for you to get through it. There's a big difference. You read with that and you ask God, Lord God, help this word, help it to to find root in my heart. And this is why God told Joshua, this book shall not depart from your mouth. You are gonna meditate on it day and night and be careful, guard closely the word of God. So lack of study and proper understanding. And and as a church, we're here to help you understand God's word better. So much of what we do as a church is built around that. And so we want to be able to help you do that better. doesn't matter what age you're at. We do this in different life stages and ages. We break it up into, into different genders and do it. We have community groups. I mean, there's all different ways where we want to help you know the word of God. So if that's something that you'd like to know better, you let us know. You say, pastors, help me do this. And we will do that because that is what we're called to. And then the third exhortation that we get from this text very clearly in that last part is do not allow your fears to control your life. You are called to live with strength and courage in your God. Do not allow your fears to control your life. There are things we're going to be afraid of. There are things that are going to come our way, but don't let those fears control your life. Let the promises of God and God himself God's word, God's truth, let that be what guides and directs your life. So be strong and courageous. And I'll repeat it as it said, only be strong and very courageous. Do not be be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I hope that's comforting to you. I hope you're encouraged even now and even as we sing and respond. If you're making a commitment, maybe you're you're being convicted by the Spirit 
Not by me, that's the Spirit's job. You're convicted by the Spirit to be in the Word more. And maybe you're planning to make some changes. Just know, whatever you're planning to do, you will be opposed in doing it. By, the, by your own flesh, by the world around you, and by your enemy. But be strong and courageous, even as you get more into his word, for your God is with you. So don't be led by fear, be led by the book. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We're amazed to see over the centuries how you have preserved your word for your people. And you've done that out of love for us, out of care for us, because, Lord God, you want to reveal yourself to us. And I pray for each and every person here who is maybe responding to this by making a commitment of how they're going to be in the word more, how they want to know your truth and they want your truth to to be what guides them. They want to align their lives around your word and your truth and they're recognizing that there's a lot of competition for their time. And maybe what's happening is the the competition is, is revealing that time in the word is losing out and something else is gaining. So Lord, help us. Give us a love for your word, for your truth. Help us to be the people of the book that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.